Thank you, Daniel, for reading that passage for us. Ephesians 1 is obviously one of the great passages of the Bible, so packed. But it's also one of the most controversial passages in the Bible when you start talking about predestination and all those kind of different things. In fact, I was talking to my friend Bobby Reeves this week about Ephesians 1, and he said he taught it in a Sunday school class once, and in the class he made sure he gave both sides of some of those issues and tried to explain them well and I went in great detail about what this could mean or that could mean. And he said, toward the end of the class, Todd Borland, if you know Todd Borland, only Todd Borland could put it this way, raises his hand and says, Now, Bobby, I don't know exactly what you're talking about, but I do know this chapter's good news. And that's absolutely true. It's good news. I mean, just pick out some of the words. We're blessed. We're chosen. We're holy. We're adopted. We're redeemed, we're forgiven, we're marked with the Holy Spirit, we're God's possession. And then it all climaxes. Why is all of this happening? It climaxes the last verse of the chapter. Look at it on the screen, verse 23. The church is Christ's body in which he speaks and acts, by which he fills everything with his presence. If you're new with us this morning, we're answering the question, why church? Why bother with church? Here's the answer from this picture. The church keeps Jesus alive on the earth. That's what the church is about. We are to keep Jesus alive. We often say in this service, and I love this phrase, we are just better together. I want to tell you, we're more than just better together. We are Jesus together. That's what Paul's saying. You see, what Paul's saying is the presence of the church is the presence of Jesus. Through the years, we've had lots of different signs in this room. Before screens got so clear, we used to put banners all the way across the front. And my favorite was from years ago. We had a great banner that simply said, Experience Jesus. And we weren't talking about just experiencing Jesus with Jesus. We were saying when you walk into the church, when you walk into the body of Christ, it should be like being around Jesus. That we are His hands and feet and that we are His presence. Now, this was also Paul's favorite picture of the church. We're looking at different pictures from Ephesians over these five weeks. Paul loves the idea of the church being the body of Christ. In fact, I think it probably first hit Paul in his conversion in Acts chapter 9. Remember, Paul's persecuting the church. He's beginning to kill Christians. On the road to Damascus, he's struck down, you know, and blinded. And he hears for the first time the voice of Jesus, Saul, Saul, Why are you persecuting me? And he said, who are you? He said, I am Jesus Christ. And if I'd been Saul, I would have said, man, I'm not persecuting you, Jesus. I'm persecuting this this church. But to Jesus, to persecute the church was to persecute him because the church is the body of Christ. And Paul continues to use that picture. It's his favorite picture throughout Scripture. Now, he actually uses it in two different ways. Like in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, he uses it to recognize the diversity of the gifts in the church. Have you ever read 1 Corinthians 12? 
It's a, it's a pretty fascinating chapter. Paul starts talking about every part of the church is important, but every part is different. And he even gets really weird on us. He has the hand talking to the eye. I mean, the hand says to the eye because I'm not an eye. I'm not really a, a part of the body. And, and there's this argument between the parts about who's important and who's not. And what Paul's trying to say is, yes, you're diverse. Yes, you're different. Yes, you're a hand. Yes, you're an eye. But every part counts. And so you just got to love that picture. We understand that picture. Part of what he was trying to say there is, you know, when one part of the body rejoices, we all rejoice. That's why we celebrated when we announced the baptism of Caleb. Man, it's big news. It doesn't just make him happy, not just his family happy. It makes the body of Christ happy. And that's why when you hurt, we hurt. I was at a table this week with a group of men, and one man came in a little bit late to share just some terrible news. And he just broke down. And then he looked over at me and said, Buddy, you want to know why church... It's because of this right here. Because we all felt together. You, you know that. Got a little splinter in my thumb the other day. Little bitty splinter. I just really didn't think it was a splinter for a couple of days. And finally I got close enough to see it was a splinter. Now what happens when you have a splinter? Your whole body goes to this little bitty piece of wood in this thumb. And your whole body hurts. That's what Paul's trying to say. And what he's trying to say beyond that is when one part of the body hurts, we all hurt and we all come to the rescue. So when I finally figured it out, two of my other fingers come over here to squeeze it out, right? Now in modern culture, we wouldn't be very comfortable with that. This thumb would say to these two fingers, it ain't none of your business. Stay out of my business. Don't you touch me. Just, you, you, let's be separate. And Paul says, no, 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 no. You can't be separate and one part hurt or one part rejoice without all of us rejoicing together. That's his point. Now, he also uses this analogy in Ephesians not to talk about diversity, but talk about unity, okay? He talks about unity of purpose. What is the church? It's the body of Christ. It's how we keep Jesus alive. Now listen closely to what I'm about to say, because I probably have not always communicated this, but you need to hear this. I need to hear this. You cannot be Jesus alone. See, sometimes we think that, okay? I'm just going to go be Jesus, you know? No, no, that's not the picture in the Bible. You can be Christ-like, but you can't be Christ. Christ is the whole body coming together. That's why sometimes some of the criticism of the church is, hey, man, you know, man, I really, really love Jesus, but I just don't want to bother with this, this, this church thing. So I'm just going to go do my own personal thing for Jesus, and I'm going to be nice to people and love people. That's good, and, and you, you probably can be Christ-like that way. But listen to me. You will not be Jesus. Only when we come together is all the different parts under the headship of Jesus does Paul say we understand our purpose and we're united. If not, if I were to make an announcement this morning and say, hey, I want to introduce you to Jesus on the earth, which is the church. And I say, oh, look down the aisle. Here comes Jesus. And you just look back there and there's just one big eye just rolling down the aisle. You say, that's not Jesus, buddy. You're crazy. That's an eye. 
Or maybe we finally discover Bigfoot. And Bigfoot just flops on down. You know, no, it's not, no. It takes every part to be the body. What a great picture. That sounds almost impossible that us, all us messed up people, could be the body of Christ. But Paul's going to explain to us later in the book of Ephesians how it actually happens. If you have your Bible, go to Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11. He tells us how we grow up into the body of Christ. Verse 11. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers to equip his people for works of service. Listen. So the body of Christ may be built up until we reach unity of faith and the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. You see that over and over? We are filled with Christ as his body, and we fill the earth with Christ's fullness. Then we will no longer be infants Tossed back and forth by waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people and their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of Him who is the head, that's Christ. From Him, the whole body is joined and held together by every supporting ligament. It grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. So what's he saying? First of all, there's some obstacles we got to overcome. He names three of them here. First of all, is immaturity. You know, we, we, we can't be the body of Christ if we are focused on ourselves. You see, immaturity is when I walk into a room or a place and it's all about me. It's what I want. It's what I like. It's how did you treat me? Did you speak to me? Did I like the song selection? Did I think the preacher was on today? It's, uh, that, that's immaturity. Because it's all, that, that's what happens with a baby. Everything's focused on that baby. When you grow up, the focus of maturity is, it's really not about me. It's about you. And even beyond you, it's about Jesus. So immaturity, instability. He uses this example of a, you know, like a being out on a sea in a small boat being tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine. It's, it, it shocks me how easily people buy into things. And, and let, me, let me just give a warning here. If you come up with something or you read someone who's come up with something, that nobody else has ever gotten from the Bible, you better put a red flag up. <laughs> if over 2,000 years no one's believed that or understood that, guys, that's how cults start. Somebody finds something nobody else has ever found, and before long they're gone. And so that kind of instability. He also says one of the other obstacles is not just instability, it's actually gullibility. And that's the scary thing. We just fall for, for most anything. And let's just give an example we've used already this morning. It, it sounds good to me. It actually feels right to me to say, I am just truly in love with Jesus, but I have a hard time with the church. Sounds good. And so I'm going I'm to just go follow Jesus, but I'd I, I really rather not have to bother with making this thing work. That sounds good, but you didn't get that from the Bible. 
You can't read the book of Ephesians and come out and believe that. It's amazing to me how gullible we are to lies of Satan. For instance, let's say there's a young couple and, and, and you're dating and you love each other and you're wanting to get married and Satan says to you, you know what, God just wants you to be happy. So, you know, just go ahead and sleep together. I, I know what the Bible said about that, but that guy didn't really mean that. And so, no, I think he meant what he said. Or you're married in your marriage your marriage hits a rough spot. And again, we've been taught that God more than anything wants you to be what? Happy. I can only hear y'all without the mask. Wow, that's good. Happy. Nowhere in the Bible does that, that God's number one goal for you to be happy. God's number one goal for you is to be like Jesus, to be mature in the body of Christ. But I go, you know what? I'm just so unhappy in my marriage. I don't have any kind of scriptural reason for this. But I'm just going to go break it up because... I know God wants it. Guys, that's why you've been given the Bible and I've been given the Bible is to filter every crazy thought we have and go, is it truth? So how do, what, how do we overcome this? Okay, what must we have? Number one, we must have Christ's headship. There's, there's two different ways in the Greek language in the book of Ephesians that the word head means. One thing it means is source. Like we might talk about the head of a river and everything flows from that. In one way, Christ is the source. If you don't have a head, you have a dead body. He's the source of life. So that's one meaning. The other meaning is, if someone's the head of something, they've got authority. They're the ones who call the shots. And so what he's trying to say here is, guys, for us to be one body, you see, you if one part of your body gets disconnected from the head, you're going to have trouble. That's why I'm really hoping that Nathan's thumb heals because it could be really weird. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> and after what he said this morning, he deserves it. But, I mean, if, if one part, you know, just gets, you're in trouble. Why? Because you've all got to listen to the head for it to be coordinated. Listen, my friends, listen closely. Jesus tells us what to do we don't tell Jesus what to do. Now, if you want to try that, just ask Peter. One day Peter tells Jesus, you're not going to cross. That's not what you're going to do. And you know what Jesus said to him? Get behind me, Satan. You don't want to hear that, do you? We are commanded by God. And guys, here's the great thing about the, the body of Christ. What should the landmark church do? You know, we have all these discussions like we're going to come up with something brand new that no one's ever done. Now, we might come up with a new method, a new approach. I'm all for that. But if you want to say, what does the Landmark Church do? That's not a complicated answer. The answer is, Landmark Church does whatever Jesus would do if he were in Montgomery, Alabama. That's what we do. And that's how we make decisions. Listening to the head. That guards us from gullibility. Because my beliefs are not just based on some kind of new modern philosophy of life. The newest Oprah Winfrey recommended book. Because, guys, if, if, if you let culture determine these things, you just can go down this road, and then you're going to go down this road, and then you're going to try another. You're going to waste your life. And you know what you're going to find on every one of those roads? They are dead-end streets. So we must allow, if we're going to be the body, Jesus to be the head. And number two, we've got to have leaders who equip. And he gives this list of leaders of the church through the centuries. Apostles, prophets, evangelists, 
pastors, teachers, you might put pastors and teachers together. And he says, the purpose of these leadership roles in God's church is to equip. So let's, let's say this two ways. For those of us part of the body, you will never mature, you will never get better without other people being involved in your life. God didn't put you in this church for you just to be an independent entity that shows up on a marked pew once a week. He put us in the church so that we might all grow in Christ-likeness and together become Christ. Now, that sounds radical, but we believe that in every other area of your life. If for some reason you want to become a great tennis player, or if you want to play the piano well, or if you want to be a better coach or a better leader, you would never think, I'm, I'm not going to read any books about that. I'm not going to have any mentors about that. I'm just going to figure this thing all on my own. We don't do that well. And we don't do that spiritually. If you want to be everything you can be for Jesus, you are going to have to let people be involved in your life. I love this five steps of leadership. We'll talk about this one day when we've got time. It's just so simple. Here's how you equip people. So if you're a leader in this church, if you're a shepherd, if you're a deacon, if you're a ministry leader, if you're a small group leader, if you're part of our ministry staff, I mean, here's what we're called to do. How do you do it? Okay, here's the way we start. I do... You watch. Watch the second part. I do. I'm about to forget my simple I do's. I better go back here. Ooh, that's bad, buddy. I do. You watch. Act like that didn't happen. I do. You help. All right? You do. I help. You do. I watch. And then finally, you do. So, it starts with me doing it and you watching it, me doing it and you helping me, you doing it and me helping you, you doing it and I watching you, and there's conversations between each one of these, and then finally you do it. That's how equipping goes, and that's what needs to be happening in the Landmark Church for us to become the body of Christ. Number three, what else must we have? We must have loving truth. We all love that phrase, we speak the truth in love, because we've seen both sides, haven't we? We've been a part of churches that were all truth and no love, and then other churches that were all love and no truth. And listen to me, truth without love is brutality. Love without truth is just sentimentality. It's just having good feelings and just being sentimental, but nobody really grows. That's why we love Jesus, because Jesus is the perfect balance of love and truth. I love John chapter 8. There's this poor woman caught in the act of adultery, thrown before Jesus to be stoned, embarrassed. And our Lord was so full of love, he said to this woman, though I'm perfect and I'm the Son of God and I have every right to stone you, I will not condemn you. But don't stop there. Then he says to her what might be the most challenging line of all the Bible, go and sin no more. We speak the truth in love. And then number four, is working members. Each part does its work. We, we want maturity to happen just sort of by osmosis, guys. We just sort of sit in church and be a good person, and I'm going to grow in Christ-likeness. Guys, maturity happens often in action, in work. We were having a life group last Sunday night, and a young man in there said, I really miss last year's Faith Works Forum, because, you know, because of COVID, we pared it way down. 
He said, because last year we filled out the faith towards form. I'd made my mind up. If there was anything on that form I could do, I would say yes and check. And he said, one of the things I checked that I, I really thought I would hate was, was coming up here and cutting grass every other week. He says, you know what? I missed that. That helped me. And I was talking to another young man later in the week, and we're talking about him being a part of a team and part of a leadership team that's helping get some things moving in our church. He said, you know, buddy, I would like to do that, but I am so unworthy. And I said to him, man, join the crowd. We are all unworthy. The way you become more worthy, the way you become stronger is by actually getting out there and doing something and acting. That's why I'm so excited about that card, that sheet you have in your lifelines this morning. Easter weekend volunteers, because it's through action that you heal. Some of us are old enough to remember, years ago, if someone would have had, let's say, like hip surgery, you'd go visit the hospital, and they would have been in traction. And they would have kept them, they would say, immobilize this, don't let this move, or you're going to mess up the surgery. If you had hip surgery today, what would they tell you in the hospital now? Get up and what? Walk. The worst thing you can do is just sit there paralyzed. And my friend, spiritually, the worst thing you can do is Satan to convince you, you know what, until I get my life together, I don't really need to serve. No, get out and work. So look at those four things that we need. We need Christ as the head, leaders who equip, truthful love that's expressed, and working members. And here's what happens. Here's what's so exciting. What happens? Jesus fills the earth. That's what he says. That's the purpose of the body. Now, now listen to what I'm about to say here. The purpose of the body is not the body. The church is the only organization in the world that exists for something other than itself. Listen to me. You will never understand the decisions of Landmark Church until you understand decisions are made not about you. They're made about lost people. We are more concerned with lost people being saved than saved people being comfortable. You got that? Because that's what the body of Christ is about. It's about Jesus filling the earth. It's not just about building a body. You ever run those people who are just incredible bodybuilders? And they're just all bucked up in these biceps and triceps and ripped and just just perfect and they you just watch them and they just get bigger and bigger and bigger it really in some ways looks unnatural what's the purpose of that is to get you know people and I'm jealous of them they just get bigger and bigger and better and better looking and it's awesome to go look in the mirror and see that But if their neighbor across the street, their widow's neighbor across the street needs help someone moving the, her furniture, their back may be hurting too bad. Or if they really want to go out and learn how to play tennis, their muscles are so big, it just doesn't flow. The purpose was just to build the big body. Guys, that's not our purpose. It's not just to have a big body and flex our muscles. Our purpose is to build a body that is in action as the reflection of Jesus Christ. That's outdoing whatever Jesus would do if he were here. That allows Jesus to fill the earth. So mark this down. The most effective evangelistic strategy in the first century to today is to plant churches. Because what happens when you plant a church? 
you plant the body of Jesus. It's not just I decide to move some neighborhood and I'm just going to be Jesus there. That, that's not it. I, I can't be Jesus on my own. It's going to have to take a diversity of people. The church begins to multiply and fill the earth. So I want to ask us this morning, as we prepare to take communion, are we just bodybuilding or are we building the body of Christ? Is it just about us having a cool church with new people and cool things, or is it really about us becoming all together the body of Jesus? Now, I want to add a new thought to your communion repertoire, not one I grew up with. But as you take communion this morning, I want to introduce you to 1 Corinthians eleven twenty nine. 29. Paul says there, for those who eat and drink without discerning the body of Christ, eat and drink judgment on themselves. Now, forever when I read that passage, I thought it was talking about the body of Jesus. And in this passage, he does talk about the body and blood of Jesus, where it's obvious it's the body and blood of Jesus. But in context, verse 29 is addressed to a church that's actually having division during communion. They are actually contradicting the gospel. Rich people get in one corner, poor people in another corner. Rich folks had plenty to eat. Poor people didn't have much to eat in the love feast. And he said, you're getting together and you're not thinking about the body of Jesus. You're not thinking about us. It's just it's about just your little individual communion time. And then when you get to chapter 12, that's where he gives that analogy about different parts of the body. So I'm convinced 1 Corinthians eleven twenty nine 29 says, one thing we do during communion is that we discern the body of Jesus. So during these next few moments, one thing I'd like us to do is just give God thanks that we're privileged to be a part of the body that represents Jesus. And another thing I would challenge you to do is to think a little bit about your part in the body. If everybody in this body was as active as you, would Jesus live in Montgomery? Would he live in Pike Road? Would he live in Emerald Mountain? Would he live in Wetumpka? Would he live in Prattville? So what's your part? So he says, discern the body. You don't want to bring judgment on yourselves by turning the communion into a separate affair that contradicts the gospel that brings everybody together. Let's pray. God, help us in this moment as we partake of the body and the blood of Jesus as we remember that we are his physical presence on the earth today. Oh God, what a privilege. And Lord, help us to reflect on how thankful we are to be a part of this body and help us to reflect on how we want to lend our gifts, our abilities to the body of Jesus Christ. I pray in his name, amen. Let's go back to where we started just a few minutes ago. It's so simple and yet so profound and should influence everything we do as a church. Why church? We're here to keep Jesus alive on this earth. You know, you love it when that happens, you know, when the church is really the church and people feel the presence of Jesus. I was reading an email this weekend from Callie Starkey about an awful time one year ago that her and Hunter went through 
and how the church was the church. It was the body of Christ. I want to read this because this is the way it's supposed to look. To the Landmark family, Sunday, March the 7th, marks the one-year anniversary of an event that changed my life forever. At 27 years old, I came within minutes of dying, which would have left my husband a widower and my two babies with no mother to raise them. From the time we entered the hospital to the time we left a few days later, we were surrounded by Landmark members. While I was in the ER, Stephanie Bell called my husband and mother to let them know that on the ladies' retreat, they were praying for us. Buddy was trying to get to us, but was advised by the hospital staff that interest was, interest was not recommended. Nevertheless, he stayed in the parking lot just in case we needed him. Now, here's the good part. Later around midnight, when I was moved to ICU, Charlie Gibbons came to the meeting room to pray for us. When I hemorrhaged and was being prepared for surgery, sometimes around 5 in the morning, Landmark members and others gathered around my family to show support. There were women there to comfort my mother and men to talk and to provide some distraction for my father and husband. After surgery, while still in the recovery unit, we had even more landmark visitors from Jimmy Dockery to Jim Sanderson to Bobby Reeves. Macy White organized the meal system for us that fed, fed us for six weeks after returning home. Jenny Allen came and sat outside our house just to pray over us. 2020 was a year filled with questions, anger, and pain. To this day, I still do not understand why God allowed this to happen to me. But on those days where I felt God had abandoned me, my landmark family was there to remind me that God was in control and that he would never let me go through this alone. Is that not our point today, even better put? When she couldn't feel the physical presence of Jesus, she felt the physical presence of his body. Landmark's not a perfect church. No church is. However, the love and compassion poured out by the members of this church is unmatched in any church I've ever been a part of. This love is a love that meets you at your darkest hour and prays with you. It is a brother or sister that holds your hand and helps carry that burden you are too tired to bear on your own. They meet you in the valley and pray you back to health. They help you remember that God will never abandon you. In this year that seemingly no one can see eye to eye, I believe we can all agree that love and compassion is exactly what we need. And the church said, amen. To my landmark family, thank you. Thank you, Callie. How beautiful. That, that's what the body of Christ is supposed to be for all of us. And today I want to challenge you. If, if for somehow you've become disconnected with the body, and it's, wow, it's been so easy this last year, do everything you can to be reconnected. Because we are... God's plan for Jesus on the earth. You've heard the story. Jesus goes back to heaven. All the angels gather around him wanting to know what happened. He said, you know, I went to earth. was born of a virgin, lived a perfect life, loved people, cared for people, died on the cross so that everybody on the earth has an opportunity to be saved. And then I've ascended back to heaven after my resurrection. They go, wow, that is so good. What did you leave behind? Well, I, I founded the church. They're going to be my body. And they say, well, that's good. But how about if the church fails? And then Jesus answered the truth of Scripture. I have no other plans. 
My brothers and sisters, we are the plan. And we need every one of you. You know, if, if, you, if you choose not to be a part or not to be active or to disconnect yourself, nobody's going to make you. But you know what a body's like when one part doesn't work? How much more difficult things are? I mean, you know, being serious about Nathan, he helped build these blackboards back in the lobby a week ago. He, his hand was foot, I mean his foot, excuse me, his thumb was already, you know, hurt and casted. And this guy does this stuff easily, but it was hard. You need to help. And guys, if, if you don't connect yourself, then we're going to go on. We're just going to limp. We're just not going to be everything we could be. I love that really weird story in the Gospels where Peter makes a mistake and cuts off Malchus's ear and that just piece of flesh is on the ground and it's, it's useless. But Jesus is so kind, he reaches down, he picks it up and he reconnects it to Malchus's head. And this morning, if you're disconnected from the body, it's going to be lifeless and limp and die. And what Jesus would like to do right now is to pick you up and reconnect you to him as the head. So you've got some response cards at the pew in front of you. If you're watching online, and we're so thankful for our online viewership, you've got a number on your screen that you can text us your response in just a few moments, we will pray publicly for the responses here. They, they won't be online, but we will pray for you. already have one response. And so if you just take that card and write it down, maybe right now you've got a splinter and you're hurting like crazy. And you go, it doesn't, doesn't seem like much, but it, you're hurting. It's, it's something to this body. Let us know. Or if today you want to recommit yourself to be a part of this body and be, us together be Jesus to do what we could not do alone. Then why don't you come right now, in just a moment, we'll pray for you. Let's stand together and sing.